0: All right. We are starting a new series tonight called Adulting, and uh, we are going to take a look—a uh, very, an extremely practical look this month at three kind of core areas, and we're going to look at biblical principles. So, if, if you're if you're one of these people who think, well, the Bible's just kind of outdated, not really relevant, you're going to see how the Bible's extremely relevant to things uh, that that matter to us, and and so we're going to look this month. At how the Bible helps us gives us these principles to how to navigate life as um, as an adult. How many of you would say you're like in a full on like adult life, like you're you're adulting already? There you go. Okay, there we go. There's like eight of us. This is gonna be great. But the rest of you, um, it, it's coming hopefully. Uh, so and and here's here's a here's a reason why I wanted to. To work uh, through through this topic and through these topics, we we um, when we came back from the retreat, so we do a, a seven ten retreat in January. Um, Shannon and I kind of shared with you, and we really felt like God's calling us to live lives of lived out love, and we're going to ask this question of ourselves and of this community: What is love? require of us. So when we encounter somebody, uh, especially somebody who's in need, what does love require me to do? When it, when somebody uh, uh, offends me, when I have to make some kind of decision, like how, what does love require me to do in this? And and Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, when he's talking about love, he, he, he has this verse in verse 11. He says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the, the ways of childhood Behind me now, what Paul's saying is children are just by nature self-centered. We're going to talk actually a little bit about this tonight. Like children, they believe that their whole world, the whole world, just revolves around them. And but what love does is love teaches you that no, the world does not revolve around you. So what Paul's saying is like I have to put away this childish way of thinking and way of being where everything's all about me right? So uh, everybody in the room, you're kind of in that 18 to 30-ish kind of phase. So if you still act like a four-year-old, you'd be a very difficult person to be around, right? Because four-year-olds are only about them, them themselves. And, and you know people like that. You know people who, yes, even though they are not four, they're maybe 24, they still act like the world revolves around them. And, and Paul says: if we're gonna live out love, if we're gonna live out what what, what love is, I gotta put these childish ways. Behind me, and so I, I just thought that's a great like jump-off spot for us as we get into these topics of adulting. Is like, no, we're gonna put the childish ways behind us, and we're gonna we're gonna really look at what it is to love with our time, um, with our money, and with our work. So those are the three things that we're gonna look at. Again, biblical principles that that help us navigate what to do with our time, what to do with our money, and then how we approach our work. And tonight. We're going to look at, at time. And I want, to, I want to be really clear up front that a lot of these messages are going to be centered around biblical principles. So if you're like, oh, great, I just want to know like, all the practices. I, know, I want to know all the hows uh, uh, with time and money and, and work. We're not going to wade into that as much, but we're going to talk about why. Because knowing your why, I think, is very important before you move into the how. If you know why, it makes a lot more sense uh, of the how. So we're going to spend a lot of time on the on the on the wow, and again, or on the excuse me, on the on the did I say wow? <laughs> we are going to spend time on the wow. It's just yeah, um, like wow, how is that guy a preacher? Um, so tonight, anyway, we're we're looking at time, and all of us, time is something that we're all. <laughs> I was gonna say all familiar with, okay, whatever. I don't know. Let me pray. That'll help. That'll help. Let me pray. God, help me tonight. I pray. Um, God, I, I I really do. I need I need your help. Uh, God, we we need your help. I, I'm so thankful, Father, that you've given us a time like this and space like this and, and your word, which is um, so in. Ent- intensely and insanely relevant and 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 helpful and god you just you show your care for us um time and time and time again when we open your word god that you um that you didn't just set this all in motion and then split and leave but god you you've Given us direction and counsel and encouragement and instruction and God, your word says of itself it's a, it's it's light to our, our path. It's it's a it's a lamp, God, in in the places that we want to walk in um in in places of darkness. And so, God, I just pray tonight for illumination, and um, God, as we we look at this subject of time, you have so much to say about it in your word, and God, as we just dive deep into how you instruct, instruct us to think about it. Um, I just pray you just help us. God, help me to speak clearly tonight. Um, but God, most of all, would you, would you speak clearly to us? And um, God, let us, let us be a people who don't just use our time for ourselves in a selfish way. But God, we, we, we really do. We, we ask, what's the most loving thing that I can do with my time um, in a way that makes much of you always, Jesus? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, so everybody here, several times a day, I'm sure, you, you check your phone or if you, you, you wear a watch, you check, you check to see what time it is. So like if you're sitting in class, right, you're always checking your phone, you're always checking your time, always checking your laptop or whatever, see what time it is. If you're at work and you're leaning on the counter, right, you're like always staring down the clock because you want to know what time it is. But, but the problem is um, that the most common question that we have about time which is what time is it, is, is not the most important question. The most common question that we have about time, which is what time is it, is not the most important question that we should be asking about our time. The, 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 the better question is not what time is it, but rather what am I doing with my time? What am I, what am I doing with my time? If you've been around here for a while, you've heard us talk about this this principle um, of of beginning with the end in mind, meaning I want to live my life in view of where I want my life to be, right? So we all have these kind of desired destinations of where we want our life to be. You have that relationally, you have it financially, you have it vocationally, you have it spiritually, I hope, like the kind of person that I want to be, the kind of person that I want to be with, the kind of thing that I want to be doing in my life. Well, you have that, and so live with that end in mind and kind of reverse-engineer your life so you actually are headed in that direction, not just having that intention or that kind of bouncing around in your head, but like, no, I'm actually moving towards that direction. So if I want to do that with my time, a better question is not what time is it, but what am I doing with my time? Now, Always checking time can be kind of depressing, right? So especially if you, like, just got to work and you're like, when's my shift over? And you're like, oh, man, I keep checking time. It's like time's not even moving. It can be depressing that way. It can also be depressing when you are like, man, where did the time go? It's, you know, it's 3 p.m. and I didn't get anything done today. Or it's, you know, I can't believe I just wasted all, all, all of that time. Um, in the book of Job, he has some super encouraging things to say, um, Bible joke. Uh, Job's very depressing. <clears throat> His whole family ties. Um, but in Job chapter 7, he talks about time. Listen to what he says. He says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. And then he says in, in chapter 9, verse 25, My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. <laughs> um, which reminds me, I turned 40 last year, <laughs> and um, when I did, I, I, I had this really kind of weird switch, and it's interesting because around here, I'll, there's a, a group of us pastors. We're all kind of the same age. We all kind of started here around the same age, and we've kind of grown up together a little bit, and we've all started to kind of turn 40 at the same time, and, it, and it's, we've all went through this kind of weird switch where we stopped thinking um, about um, how old we were to how much time do I I have left? Uh, the other day I went on deathclock.com. I know this is old news. You've been on this. Yeah. If you're really looking for a pick me up, that's you want to, you want to head there. Um, so which by the way, if you're not doing anything, March 24th, 2052, that's, I die that day. So, um, so I'm just, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That, that, That's going to be good. Um, so, if you know what death clock is, you go and you type in some information about yourself, and it tells you, like, you're, you're gonna die in this day. So, it's great. But the, the point is, the point is, and there is a point, um, time just keeps going by. So, a better focus is okay, what am I doing with my time? Be, because I should start living my life, spending my time with the end in mind. And, that, and that's, a, that's a big idea. That, that's a big idea for us. And I'll tell you what, if you can. If you can start now to think that way about your time, it will change the way that you spend your time. It will change the way that you spend your time. So, in the scriptures, we get some help um, on this by a guy named Moses. So, Moses actually wrote one of the Psalms. We're going to be in Psalms 90. So, there's one text for us tonight. So, if you have a Bible, go to Psalm uh, 90. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one on the, on the, on the table there. Psalm, Psalm 90. Now, a lot of times when we think of the Psalms, we think of David, because David predominantly wrote most of these Psalms or songs that are in the, in the, in the Bible. But, but in Psalm, Psalm 90, this is one that's actually written by Moses. Now, let me tell you why Moses is a great person to learn from uh, when it comes to time. So Moses, he, he was a Hebrew. And when he was a baby, he was taken by Pharaoh's daughter, and he was, he was raised as an Egyptian. So Hebrew baby raised as an Egyptian. So he learned to walk like an Egyptian and talk like an Egyptian thank you <laughs> I appreciate it yeah um, but then one day in his, in his kind of like late teens or early 20s he realized you know what Like, I'm not an Egyptian I, I'm a Hebrew and, and, the, and in my world the other Hebrews are, are slaves and he really got fed up with the way that the Egyptians were treating the Hebrews and he decided that he was going to do something about it so one day he sees this Egyptian who's mistreating a Hebrew and he actually kills the Egyptian and then, he, and then he, does it, he does it again. He's like, this is going to take a long time for, for this to happen. No, he actually gets run out of the country, flees for his life. He ends up being in the, in the wilderness. He's in the middle of nowhere. He's actually, like the, the way that the scripture says, he's like in the, on the backside of nowhere. So he's literally in the middle of the, the wilderness. So you got to think about this. Moses, he goes from being like a prince of Egypt, literally, and, and gets run out into the middle of nowhere. So now he's a fugitive. He's running for his life from the Egyptians, living out in the wilderness. He runs to this family of shepherds who hire him, and he becomes a shepherd. So what the Bible tells us about Moses is that Moses spends 40 years. He spends 40 years, 40 of his, of his best years, 40 of his best years. So if you think like right now, okay, so it's eighteen, 18, 19, 20. So like somewhere in that span for the next 40 years, you're a fugitive in the middle of nowhere as a, as a shepherd doing nothing. Every day he does, he does the same thing. So Moses doesn't need like to check Google Calendar like, oh, hey, what am I going to do today? No. When the sun is up, he's with the sheep. When the sun is down, he's asleep with the sheep. That's just what he did, 40 years. And Moses just assumes, he's like, okay. This is it. My life is over. There's no real purpose. God's kind of abandoned me. There's nothing going on. I'm just going to I'm just going to wait to die. I'm just going to hang out with these sheep and be a shepherd and until I die. Then after 40 years. So 40 years, okay? God says, "I look, I've got a plan for your life. He brings him out of obscurity. And this is a part of the story that you know about Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, Let my people go. Pharaoh says, No, nah, I don't think so. Moses says, Let them go. And then after he does that a few times, and then finally, Moses leads his people out of Egypt, becomes a household name, and leads the nation of, of Israel. So now, all of that kind of like a, a backdrop as to this person, Moses, who's writing this song. So he's in the wilderness, 40 years of doing nothing, so he's got an incredible, incredible perspective when it comes to time, and he gives us a perspective on how we should, should view time. And here's what he's going to tell us. I'll give you the kind of the punchline before we get into the psalm. Here's what he's going to tell us. Context is everything when you're thinking about time. Context is everything, meaning this, okay? God has created a context in all of our time, all of our little snippets of our lives, our little moments of time, they all fall in that context of what he's gonna say is age to age, generation to generation. So Moses is saying, there's a context. It's generation to generation, age to age. And you, you have this little context sliver in that spot where God is in the center and if we can view our lives in that context, we can discover the point of our brief time in life and, and if we don't, we'll get to the point in our life where we'll just be we'll get to that point in our life where we say what was the point of my life? If you can understand what it is that you're supposed to do from age to age, from generation to generation, in the context of where God is in the middle of this span of time, and you're this little sliver, if you can understand that, you'll understand the point of your life. But if you don't, you'll get to the point in your life where you'll say, what's the point of my life? Now, now the thing about us, and I mentioned this just a second ago, when we're young, we, we think we are the point. So my, my kids, they think that, they're, that the whole world revolves around them. And a, and a lot of you, you're just now kind of getting into the the, the phase of life. Like enough life has happened to you where you you're, you're starting to realize, yeah, it doesn't really revolve around me. And and as you get older, you see more and more that you're not the point. So you begin to ask, but well, what is the point? because you see, you, you you start life pretty much every every the same for everyone, right? So you're born, you go to school, you go to uh, elementary school, you go to middle school, you go to high school and then not, then you have a choice you can either go to work or you go to college. So maybe you go to college, and then you get out of college, and then hopefully you join the other people who have been working this whole time, and you work, uh, and then uh, you start to date, hopefully, right, and then you maybe get engaged, and then get married, hopefully, maybe, right, and then uh, maybe, like, have some kids, and you kind of watch, like, those kids do, and those kids kind of go and take the same trajectory that you took, and then uh, you retire, hopefully, and you go on a cruise, and you get sick, and then you die, and that's it. That's kind of... That's how life goes, right? (laughs) Now, now the reason that the reason that we struggle, um, and and the reason that we think that we are the point in this story, is is because we don't understand the context in which God has given us these few years to live. And Moses explains all of this in, in the form of a psalm. And the psalm, if you're not familiar, they're, they're like these poems or songs. So it can be a little bit tricky, but we're gonna, we're gonna work through it. So Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations, right? So from verse 2, it says this, before the mountains were born, or you, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The bookends of your life are not your birth. And your death. The bookends are everlasting to everlasting with God in the middle. So that context for your existence where you understand that your purpose is everlasting to everlasting with God in the middle. That's what Moses is trying to teach us here. That's what God is trying to teach us in this psalm, verse verse 3. And here's why. Moses says, this is super encouraging. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. Meaning no matter what you've done in your life, God says, return to dust. No matter how successful you are, no matter what athletic a- achievement you get in life, LeBron James someday turn to dust. No matter how wealthy you are, how successful you are, how famous you are, no matter how many kids you have, no matter what jobs you have, no matter all those things, Moses is just, he's telling us what we already know about life, but we don't really want to talk about it or face it. He's like, God says to all of you, return to dust. Verse 4 Moses gives us a little insight on how God sees our lives. He says, or time, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Now, um, a watch in the night, there would be like these kind of different shifts that guards would have in the night watching out for things. And they would typically be like three to four hours. So get what Moses is saying here about how God views time. A thousand years so, a thousand, years would, would be, a thousand years would be like when the Crusades were happening, right? So, a thousand, a thousand years is like three hours to God. So, how long is your life from God's perspective? A thousand years is like three hours to God. Verse, look at verse five. He says, Yet you sweep people away in sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. In the morning, it springs up new but by evening is dry and withered. It's like, that's what your life is like. It's like grass that springs up and then dies away and then blows away. So Moses' point is not your life doesn't matter, even though it feels like that's what he's saying. His point is that your life is so brief and so common and so quick that it is futile for me and you to try to create something on our own Because we simply don't have enough time. Your only hope for purpose and significance, what Moses is taking us to, is to take your little moments of time, your little sliver and snippet of life of time, and to interject them properly within the context of what God is up to in his grand narrative. Now, if this makes no sense, or you're just there, I don't really buy this, Try trying to understand it by flipping it the other way around. If you've ever spent time with or worked for or been in a relationship with someone who tried to make the whole world about themselves, here's what happens. When a person refuses to understand that true significance is found in the context of what God is doing in the world, and they try to be the only significant in their context of their own life, their own power, their own agenda, two things happen. They, they always run out of time before they finish what they set out to do, and history never speaks well of them. You don't have to be a Bible person. You don't have to believe in God just to know that that's true. You know this is true. A person that's all about themselves, a person whose world only orbits around themselves, leaves a trail of broken relationships, right? This is what dictators do in countries. Everything revolves around them. They lead their country into war. This is what corrupt CEOs do to companies. They're self centered, self absorbed. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying to spare you from blowing. Anyway, right? Yeah, you're welcome. Um, this is what pastors have done to churches when it's all about them. This is what some parents have done to their families and their children. When your world is only centered around you, when your world only revolves around you. History never speaks well of self-centered people because that is not a life that we want to repeat. It's a reminder that our greatest opportunity in this life is not about making ourselves known. It's not about making a name for ourselves, but about making much of the name that is above all names. You can't find real lasting purpose in life with your time if it's all about you. People have tried. Plenty of people have tried. History shows us that people have tried, and it's never been done. Moses, who could have pulled it off, who could have pulled it off? Moses could have stayed in Egypt. He could, have, he could have pulled this off. He says, no, the point of life is not you. Purpose is found in between everlasting from everlasting with God in the center. Look at verse 10. He says this. He says, our days may come to 70 years or 80. You might be 70 years old. You might be 80 years old, right? And he says, if our, if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but troubled in sorrow, For they quickly pass, and we fly away. He's saying, look, you're going to have years of sorrow. Let's say say you've got 70 years. Let's say you have 80 years. In those 70 years, in those 80 years, there's going to be years of trouble. There's going to be years of sorrow. You're going to have trouble in life. And it goes to verse 11. Now, i got to be honest. Verse 11 is so confusing. I wanted to just skip it and hope you didn't notice, but I feel like we need to read it. So, if we only knew the power of your anger, if we only knew, which means he's... Understanding that we don't know, if we only knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. So here's what he's saying. If we knew, we don't know, we can't see, but if we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence that he's due. If we could see God as he really is, then we would present him gladly, open-handedly, with our 60, 70, 80 years within the context of what he's doing in the world, because he is the great and mighty God, but we can't see clearly. The Old Testament teaches us that if, if God revealed all of his glory, all of his presence, all of the fullness of who he is, we would, we'd die. Now, now remember... Moses, if you, if you remember the story about Moses, he got as close to seeing God's glory as anyone who's ever lived. He came down from the mountain after after the backside of of God's glory, kind of past him, and his, he's lit up like he lit up like he's radioactive. His like head's glowing. I'm like, hey, where were you? He's like, I don't know. I just saw the glimpse of God's glory, right? And that, that's as close as anyone's ever got. There are things about the glory of God that we'll never fully understand, but if we could see it. We'd say, in light of who you are, God, and what you're up to in the world, take all of my time. Take all of my days, all of my life. I, I, I realize I'm not the point. You're, you're the point, and I want my life to count, and I want you to use my life. There's this moment in the Gospels where Jesus is being arrested, and they, and they come to him, and all the guards, and like this big kind of cohort is coming at him, and they want to arrest Jesus. We're getting you know close to Good Friday, so we'll get into this moment again, but they're standing there, and... And they ask Jesus they say, they say, "Are you Jesus?" And he answers, "I am." And as soon as he says that, it's like, <sighs> Everybody falls out. Like, everyone, like, gets blown back by it. And he just let this little bit of his glory out. He's like, hey, my bad. Didn't mean to knock you all over. But my glory, you asked who I was. So I said, I am. My glory was revealed. You can't handle it. That's what it is. It's just a little, like, little tiny glimpse, a little bit of, like, the glory of God slipped out in in that moment. If we were ever exposed to the full glory of God, it would be too much for us. But if we could see it and we could survive it and see it clearly, we would live more purposefully. If we understood the fullness, the presence, the glory of God, if we really could somehow catch a glimpse of it, we would live life more purposefully. If we could clearly see Jesus, we'd spend our time more wisely. All right, so, so what, are, what are we supposed to do with this psalm and with our time? And we're, and this, and we're, and we're done with this. Moses, with all of his wisdom, all of his experience, he says this in verse, in verse 12. And this is the principle for us to apply to our lives in regards to how we spend our time. So very simple as we kind of land here tonight. Verse, verse 12, listen, listen to what Moses says. And this is the principle for us to pray about and for us to take away tonight. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He's praying praying this. And and, and my Bible, right underneath Psalm 90, it says a prayer of Moses. He's teaching, God, God, teach us, he's praying, teach us to number our days. Teach us to live as if our days are numbered because they are. So God, in light of who you are and what you're doing in the world, Teach us to number our days. Now, everybody here already knows how to do this. So I I, I love when women in 7:10 get engaged, and uh, especially when they've set the date for the wedding, right? Because they know how to number their days. They know exactly how many days it is till their wedding day. They know exactly what needs to be done leading up to that day. Like they've got the list, they got the binder, they got the magazines cut out. I mean, they got the whole thing. They, they know. They know the day. They know the time. They know what has to get crossed up. They know how to number their days, right? Some of you, you're, you're in college leading up to graduation, so you know, you're numbering the days to graduation. You know what projects you have to get done. You know what deadline you have to meet. You, you know how to number your days. And Moses says, God, we don't know when our days are over, so teach us how to live out our days. Why? Why? that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is so, this is so critical. Because Moses is identifying something for us that's extremely helpful. He's, he's identifying that we are not able to make wise decisions if we don't make them within the context of what God is up to in the limited number of days that we have. If we don't acknowledge that, We will live unwise lives. We will waste our days, Moses says. I will make better decisions and better use of my time if I know that my days are numbered. If I know that my days are numbered. God, what do I do with my limited time? Show me. Show me what to do with my limited time in light of who you are, in light of what you're doing. And if you embrace the the fact that God has given you life and time and that the purpose of those things is not centered on you. And and here's the thing. Your time is your life. Like what do you have that's more valuable than your time? You, You don't have anything more valuable than your time. But if you embrace the fact that God's given you life and time and that the purpose of those things is not to be centered on you, that there's a bigger story and that you're not the main character, and you pray that God would teach you to live as though your days are numbered because your glory is too small to live for. Your fame is too small. It's too small. It's not big enough. But if you realize that you you were to live your numbered days for the glory of God, for the fullness of God, you will spend your time well. The Bible doesn't teach us about time so that we can invest more time on ourselves because that's a bad investment. That's an unwise move. All the teaching leads us to a heart of wisdom and a life that outlasts our own. We're to live, though, as our life has a point and we are not it. We're to live as though our time is limited because it is. We, we're to live as though we've been invited into everlasting to everlasting because we have. And when we see everything in that context, we see purpose beyond anything that we could manufacture on our own. And it all starts with this prayer. And this is the prayer that I would love for you to just kind of pray this week. Heavenly Father, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom And fulfill your purpose for my life. Let me say that again. This prayer. This would be a great prayer for us to pray as a community this week. Heavenly Father, teach me to number my days. That I may gain a heart of wisdom. And fulfill your purpose for my life. Let's pray and ask God to do that. God, indeed, I do pray that you would help us to number our days. And God, that we would not live wasted lives and wasted time on ourselves. And, God, as we want to be a community that lives out a life of love, would we continue to pursue you, Jesus, the king of love, the one who is love? And, God, would we aim um, to live our lives the way you lived your life? And, God, would we number our days so that we would gain a heart of wisdom and understanding of who you are and what you would do in the world? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this time that you've given us together.